Good morning again, everybody. Uh, again, so glad, so glad that you've taken the time to do this. So glad that this is important to you. So glad that we are together as best we can during this season. I want to talk about Jesus today. I want to talk about Jesus every day. But today, I really want to bring home one point for our hearts during this season that I think is really important. It deals with faith. It deals with love. It deals with, with just uh, the condition uh, of our attitudes and our hearts. And so today, I'm just looking forward to this. When you, when you look at the life of Jesus, it's, it's easy in some ways because of his tremendous influence on our culture to go, well, their day was not much different than our day. But I got to tell you, the influence of Jesus in our day has made such a profound difference um, in culture. For example, I don't know if you knew this or not, but women... Um, in, in the day that Jesus was talking to women and giving leadership roles to women and the, the gospel was first being um, preached through women, announcing that Jesus was resurrected, this whole thing, it, it's brand new. There are actually parts of Judaism that believe that women did not even have a soul, that they didn't have eternity, that they were, they were like the beasts of the field. They had a role in society, and that was to serve men, that was to serve children, but, but the value to God of a woman or the abilities uh, of a woman to God were, were just completely different than we might think of today. Uh, you, you think about things like children and how, how children, you know, in that day and age, listen, if you didn't contribute to agriculture, if you didn't contribute to the home, if you didn't contribute to the economy, if you, if you couldn't vote, if you couldn't fight, if you weren't of a certain age or a certain ability, you were just a liability being tolerated, being invested in until such a time as you could be something more important. Sinners, uh, Jesus gave great value to sinners. Uh, you know, it seems like if he had a choice of going home with a righteous guy and having dinner or going home with a tax collector and having dinner, he always chose the tax collector. What is this all about? Why is Jesus giving such radical cultural value to people that the culture around him gave no value to? I, I want to say this to you. I believe that God believes in you. I believe that God believes in me. I believe that God believes in us. I believe that God has a plan for anyone who will be willing to walk in his ways. And today, uh, I want to really bring out one part of this. It's going to be so much fun. And we're going to talk about why it is that, that it's a compliment to be called a child. Literally, in Scripture, one of, the, one of the kindest things that you can be called in Scripture is a child. When John refers to believers as my little children, when Jesus talks about children, when Paul talks about us being heirs and co-heirs and we're children, these, these are not demeaning words. These are not words that are like, um, you know, listen, someday you'll be worth something, but you're not right now. Jesus changed all of that when he gave great value to things that children have that most adults don't. Look at this. We're going to look at three of the Gospels and how Jesus gave value to, to children. Look at this. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, first, it says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children, all children of God through faith. Look at Romans chapter 8. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to being a child, the adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's kids. It is a fabulous honor to be called childlike. It is a brilliant, a brilliant social move for Jesus to say, listen, the earth may look at kids or women or sinners or, or whatever it is in a different way, but heaven looks at them very differently than you do. Heaven has a perspective that is eternal, and it sees, God sees, Jesus sees potential in people. Jesus um, really valued 
kids. And let's take a listen to the Gospels now. Matthew chapter 19 says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. Um, then people, uh, it says this, that, that uh, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. The disciples were all upset. You know, how can you do that? Why are you letting these children do this? It's wrong. And he said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Look at the gospel of Mark now. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples again rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now that word doesn't mean he was miffed. It means he was ticked. Jesus went, what? No, 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 no. You are not treating them that way. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Look at, look at the next verse, verse 16. Truly I tell you, grown-ups, truly I tell you, disciples, truly I tell you, anointed, called ones that have already healed the sick, already been with me when I raised the dead, already seen miracles, listen to me. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, the way God thinks, the way God does, the authority, the exousia of God, the domain of the king, the king domain, um, if they don't receive it like a little child, they will never enter it. Look at it, it, it again, verse uh, 16. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Look at the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 18 says this. People were also bringing babies, not just little children, infants, babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they said, oh, stop, he's so important, he doesn't have time, he should be dealing with with." high priests and politicians and Roman governors, and you're, you're wasting his time. Children are a waste of God's time. And Jesus, again, uh, was furious about this. He was indignant, and he rebuked them. He said, but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, verse 17, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, like a little child would, will never enter it. So what is, what is it about kids that is so important? What is it about children that Jesus says, listen, I don't want them to grow up to be like you. I want you to grow up to be like them. I, the first thing that comes to mind for me is this. It's just their ability to receive love. Um, there's a saying that got stuck in my heart not long ago, a few years ago, and it, it says this, that we only receive the love that we believe we deserve. Um, I've never gone to hug a child and had a child tell me he was unworthy. I've had children be afraid of me, like shy, oh, I don't wanna, hey, big guy, how you doing? Oh, I don't wanna, you know, and they hide behind their moms. Like, I've never gone to hug a child and the child stopped me and said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't know what I've done today. You don't know the cookies I've stolen, the, the pigtails I've pulled, the cats I tortured. You don't know the accidents I had during potty training. I, I am unworthy of your love. Like, like, children don't do that. When you go to love a child, they may be afraid of you, but they're never unworthy. I, you have never experienced, I have never experienced a child walking guilt, you know, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and say, hey, buddy, and they go, oh, please don't. I, we're, we're uh, we, I say we, but really, uh, his parents are, are my, my son and daughter-in-law are potty training uh, our grandson. And, uh, you know, as all potty training goes, I mean, the kid's brilliant, he's perfect, uh, but there's a few accents along the way. And when I, you know, go to see him, hey, how's it going? I, I've never walked up to hug him, and he goes, oh, Bapa, no, because since the rooster has crowed thrice, I have pottied in my pants. I mean, never once, right? And you've never heard a kid say, don't hug me, I, I did something bad, I did something wrong. What happens is, he goes, uh-oh, 
Uh-oh, you know, you say, oh, what's going on, bud? you have an accident? Yeah, and you clean him up, and he puts on a new pair of underoos, and he's all excited, and he goes right back to playing. And when Bapa or Gammy or Mama or Dada shows up and they want to love him, he, he doesn't associate, now hear me, he doesn't associate some sort of temporary failure with some sort of disqualification for love. I think this is why Jesus says, hey, I, I want you guys to grow up to be like them. Why? Because so often we're like, yeah, man, I, I'm not close enough to God to receive love. I only receive the love that I think that I deserve. And I, I know what I did yesterday. I know what I thought this morning. I, I know what I said. I know who I heard. I, God, I, if you were to try to love me, you'd be wrong for doing it. We got Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. The greatest gift, the greatest expression of love was the life and death, the substitutional offering of God giving his son for you. And while you were still wet in your pants, <laughs> while you were still in your mess, Jesus died so that you could live. If you ever say to God, I'm unworthy of your love, you're actually ignoring scripture. If you think about the parable of the prodigal son, he goes away, he does terrible things, he squanders all the wealth that he's inherited. He comes back to his father, which was a dishonor to begin with. He took what his father gave him before his father was done with it and just said, give it to me now. I don't trust you to deal with it. I want it now. And he goes away. He loses it all when he comes back. The first thing he says to his father, who runs to him, by the way, and, and wraps his arms around him, he says, no, 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 I'm unworthy. I, have, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a slave. Make me like a servant. Make me sleep in the barn. Make me pay for my sins. And I love what the Father's love does in this parable. He says, you, you don't pay for your sins. I pay for your sins. And he says, make sure that this kid's nakedness is covered and they cover it with a robe. Make sure that, that this kid's identity is restored and they give him a signet ring on his finger. Make sure this kid is separated from the dirt of this earth and they put sandals on his feet. Make sure there's a celebration and they kill a fatty calf and there's music and there's a celebration because what was dead has come back to life. That's the heart of God. The heart of the Father is not live in shame because you had an accident. Uh-oh. The heart of the Father is, I knew you were going to have an accident. My love is greater than your deeds. My love for you, what I've done for you is more powerful than what you've done against me. And I choose because of love to give you what I have to give you. I love this. Listen, there's, there's 12 disciples, and we know that Judas goes a separate way, and, and it's a terrible, tragic ending to his life. There's 11 other guys, and they're in the running to be whatever they want to be. Um, but John really emerges as someone who's closer to Jesus. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. We see John at the Last Supper leaning his head against the breast of Jesus and hearing his heartbeat. When Peter wants to get a sensitive answer out of Jesus, he says, John, ask him, ask him what he means. Like, there's a, there's a proximity but there's, a, there's an emotional just closeness. John and Jesus have a different relationship and, and to be called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, let me ask you this, and I know I say this often, so if you've heard this before, don't tune me out. Ask yourself this question again. Why? Why is John the disciple that Jesus loves? Is it because Jesus chose to love John more than Peter? He chose John, to love John more than he loves you or me? No. I believe that the reason that John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, hear me, is because John is the disciple that just let Jesus love him like a child. He never equated his failures. He said, well, did John have failures? Yeah, he had failures. They're in a Samaritan village, and they don't want Jesus there. And John goes, do you want me to call down fire from heaven? 
Do you want me to, do you want me to get God involved in murdering an entire village? Jesus, what do you say? I mean, his nickname that Jesus gave him and his brother was, were the sons of thunder. So to think John's this milky white, oh, he has angels wings and he never does anything wrong. No, John, John can't get out of the boat. He doesn't have the faith to get out of the boat. Peter does. John wants to call judgment down from heaven and make God a murderer of a village because they did one thing he didn't like. John is, is called the son of thunder. Him and his brother, the sons of thunder. Jesus nicknamed them that. These are not casual milky white people. These are people, they're fishermen, they're gruff. They've got calluses on their hands. They got a certain way of talking that I'm not allowed to you know, even make my impression of because it's church right now. And Jesus, for some reason, loves him. And John is the one who lets him. I'm, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what you've done. But can I also suggest that it probably doesn't even matter any more than when my grandson wets his pants and goes, uh-oh, what do we do? We help him get out of the uh-oh back into a place where he should be, right where he's supposed to be. We love him through it. We, we talk him through it. If you think that, that, that you are a better father than Father God, and yet you treat your children with such care and such love when they have an accident, when they know what's right, when they know it's wrong, but they cross the line and do what they know they shouldn't do, you love them anyway. How many times would your child have to not clean his room before you disowned him? You're seven years old. I told you to make the bed this way. And if you do it one more time, I'm kicking you out of this house, said no good parent ever. And if you being evil, Jesus says, in comparison to his parenting skills, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more does the love of God see through what it takes for us to mature, what it takes for us to grow? Very rarely in Scripture do we see God just losing it on somebody that's, that's, uh, that, that's sinning, but never. I'm going to say this again. Never do you see God losing it on somebody that's still trying. Judgment comes when we stop trying. Mercy comes when we're trying. Because of the love of God, mercy comes when we're trying. He's teaching us how to walk. You're going to fall down. He's teaching us how to ride a bike. You're going to bleed a little bit. He's teaching us how, how not to go in our pants, if you will, as a metaphor. <laughs> right? There's going to be accidents, and he's going to be the one that cleans you up, picks you up, brushes you off, dries your tears, and sends you back out to continue the process of learning. This is how it works right? John was the disciple that Jesus loved because John was a disciple who led him. What else? What else do children have just naturally? Let's look at this one. Children believe. It, it's, it's shocking. We as adults, um, we, we reason things. I say, hey, uh, I have this jet pack, and it's in my garage, and I'll be flying over your house this afternoon. You'd be like, you have a what? Uh, jet packs are pretty rare. Uh, they're pretty expensive, uh, I think you're afraid of heights. Like I, so we, we ask ourselves, the question, we compare it to experience, and we say, is this really true or not? Well, children don't. They go, wow, a jetpack. Pastor Jim has a jetpack. He's going to fly over my house. And they run in the backyard, and they look for Pastor Jim to come flying over their house on the jetpack. Why? Because they, they, don't, they don't reason their way through experiences to come to a conclusion. They believe what they're told. And if you think about it, guys, in the same way, when Jesus teaches this stuff, it's pretty extraordinary, right? I mean, stuff that's like, you, you got to do what to do what? I, got, I have to do what to beware? I, I've got to give what to see what? I've got to pray what to, I, I, you know, like, like faith is, is, you know, the substance of things that don't have substance. <laughs> it's the substance of hope. It's, it's evidence of things that doesn't have any evidence. That's what faith is. And children have the ability to go, yeah. And I'll, I'll be careful how to say this because families are watching, but um, an, an obese, geriatric, bearded fellow 
riding with bovine transportation, goes uh, and ascends onto the rafters of a local dwelling and descends through a smokestack and, and plays with people's laundry. I think the adults got what I'm talking about. Now, as unbelievable as that tale is, how many of us said, ooh, cool, and we believed it because we lacked the reason. We, we didn't question it. We just trusted the source, which was usually a mom, a dad, a bapa, a gammy. Can I say this to you? Your life would be infinitely better off, infinitely just better off if you just believed what he said to you. Yeah, but what if, but what about, where was the, I don't understand, how did it, that's what, listen, faith is not reasoning. Faith is trusting. It's like, well, if I see it, I'll believe it. That's not faith. Faith is when I, when I believe it, I believe that I'll see it. Not when I see it, I believe that I'll believe it. Um, I, I remember <laughs> the stark difference. This is, you guys, like our, our family, I'm sure, if you have children, more than one child, you've noticed that though the same biological DNA are involved in the creation of the bodies, the souls are completely different. The, the, the physical creates the physical, but God creates the, the eternal, the spiritual, and the soulish realm of people. And I, you could not find two brothers more different than my sons. Dean and I sons, Pastor Josh, Pastor JD, are, are, you could not find two more different people. And what's funny is this. I, I remember back to potty training, and forgive me, sons, for, for saying this in public. You can edit this later on and get rid of this and make me talk about somebody else if you want. But uh, I remember when it was time for Josh to be potty trained. He was 12. No, just kidding. He, he was, he was yeah, I don't know how old he was, uh, a year or something. I have no idea. Isn't that terrible? He was short. I remember that. But I, I remember Dina got him these, these underwear that had animals or dinosaurs, dinosaurs on it. And uh, she just explained to him something that he believed. She just said, listen, you, you know, you're, you're a big boy. You've gone from diapers to pull-ups, but now we're going to exclusively from now on in the hole, in the small room, that's where it's going, all right? And you get to flush afterwards, and you get a Skittle. So it was, you know, risk and reward. So if you got to sit over the hole, you got to get a Skittle, risk and reward. And, uh, and, and he was like, oh, okay. And she, so she said this. I don't know why she said it. Please don't get mad at my wife. It's hilarious. And it works. She said, and by the way, if you have an accident, the dinosaurs are going to bite your butt. <laughs> and, and Josh went, huh? Can I tell you something? From that moment on, from, from the first day of being in underwear, Josh never once had an accident. He believed her. And he, he just said, you know, I, that's cool. I don't want to get bit. And a nice, nice Tyrannosaurus rexes, you know, or whatever. And everything was good. Now, fast forward three years, Pastor JD, our other son, who is completely different from his brother. Same time of, of, of the season of his life, same sort of underwear, dinosaurs on him, and it worked the first time, why not say it the second time? Now you're a big boy, no more diapers, you've been through pull-ups, and now from this day forward, you're gonna have these wonderful, there's gonna be animals on him, but JD, I just want you to know that if you have an accident, the dinosaurs are gonna bite your butt. Now what do you think Pastor JD did that was different from Pastor Josh? Yes, he walked out of the room had an accident to find out if what his mother was saying was true. <laughs> he literally came back three minutes later and said, they didn't bite my butt, and he's soaking wet. He's like, ah, right? So this is the point I'm trying to make. Listen, if you simply believe, you make progress. If you don't simply believe, you make a mess. In the same way, if you just believe that what God says is good is good, if you just believe what God says to do, you do. If you just believe that he loves you, he's smart, he's wise, he's infinite, and his instructions are life. You will avoid so many accidents in life. Let him love you and trust him.
Listen, I'm just gonna say this straight to you. There are those that are called to do great things for God and you haven't even started one of them. And the reason you haven't started one of them is because you don't have all the answers. I'll start as soon as I see all the answers. Faith isn't having all the answers. Faith is having trust in the one who's called you to do something great. And I wanna say it again. I just, I know you're not here. I'm looking in the eye, but I just feel it in my heart. So I'm gonna say it again. Some of you have been given a great task by a living God and you haven't done the first thing yet. And the reason you haven't started is because you don't have all the answers. If you wait for all the answers, you will never walk in obedience and you can never walk in faith. You need to just trust that the God who created you, who gifted you, who anointed you, who got you this far has a plan for your life to take you to places that right now are just a dream. But he can do it through you. There are businesses that need to be started. There are ministries that need to begin. There's relationships that need to get going. There, there's a, a move in your future. There's, there's, there's a risk. It's right in front of you. You know it's the right thing to do. You just, I still need more answers. Maybe you don't need more answers. Maybe you just need more obedience, more trust, more faith. Children receive love. Children believe. And boy, the, the last thing is simply this, is that children reflect their father. I, I came across a great conversation the other day. A five-year-old uh, granddaughter of one of our staff members and a three-year-old daughter of one of our staff members are having a FaceTime, face-to-face through an iPad conversation. And the older, the five-year-old says, hey, you're pretty cool. We should hang out sometime. The five-year-old says to the three-year-old, we should hang out sometime. And the three-year-old says back to the five-year-old, yeah, we can't. And she said, well, why? She says, COVID-19. And then the, the five-year-old says back to the three-year-old, oh, COVID-19 is so stupid. <laughs> What's funny is if I were to tell you who the kids are, you would know that one is being her parent and the other is being her parent. Like, like literally, if, if you could have the parents in the room, hey, we should hang out sometime. Oh, we can't. We need to be cautious. COVID-19. Oh, COVID-19 is so stupid. Like literally, these are mini-me's. That are, that are literally just acting out like they think it's them being them. It's not. It's them being their imitation of what grown-ups, what people they look up to, what, what their heroes are saying they're repeating because they believe it to be true. Listen, when you believe what God has said to be true, you become this imitator. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children, Paul tells us. Um, I, I, what would happen? Just, just think about it. And the piano starts to play. But what, what would happen? If all of God's children just wanted to become mini-me's, we looked at Jesus like those little girls looked at the adults in their lives, and our conversation changed because of what we heard him say. Our, our actions changed because of what we saw him do. Our attitudes changed because we recognize there's a greater truth that, that is self-evident and doesn't need a lot of argument. What if, what if we laid hands on the sick just like Jesus did? What if we cast out demons just like Jesus did? What if we declared from the rooftops, from the, from the wedding banquets, from the, the wells with the one woman that was ostracized? What, what if we began to, to be like him? What if we began to imitate as dearly loved children would imitate their parents? What if we started to be like our heavenly father? What if we started to be like what we saw our heavenly father be like through his son, Jesus? What if we decided to become Christ-like or, or what they were called in Antioch for the very first time, Christians, little Jesuses. Literally, that's what, that's what a Christian means, is little Christs. Uh, Christ, um, oh, if you want to be like me, you'd like say Jimisms, and you'd be Jimists. <laughs> Gymnast, I don't know what you'd be. But when, we were, when they were acting so much like Jesus, unbelievers stood back. They saw what they were doing, what they were saying, how they were doing it, and they said, 
you're little Christians. You're, you're little Christs, aren't you? They called them Christians. I don't know that it was meant as a compliment. We've taken on that identity. I'm not sure exactly what it means in every context anymore. But when they first said it, it wasn't a compliment. Oh, look at you. You're, you're moral people, and you give 10% of your income, and you pray prayers, and you feed people during crisis. I mean, that's, that's not where they're thinking. They're like, wow, your behavior, you look a lot like that other guy who was the Christ. You're Christians. You're little Christ. What if we became imitators? What if, what if? And somewhere, guys, I'll just be honest with you. Please hear my heart, and please don't get mad about this. Just, again, I can't see you, so I can't tell if you're getting up and storming out. I can't see if you're nodding your head in agreement. But just hear my heart. Um, somewhere we really got off track. Somewhere, somewhere and I, again, I want to say this carefully, but somehow Christianity became a form of music. Christianity became a, a way to vote. Christianity became a list of rules. Christianity became a, a way to dress or the precursor to a school, a, a Christian school or a Christian, you know, song or a Christian car, or, you know what I mean? I, let us be very careful that, that Christian means little Christ, that we're behaving that way. And I, I, I think we took a wrong turn in areas where we call out things that Jesus wouldn't call out and where we, where we let things go that I don't think Jesus would let go. And it takes some wisdom, takes some time, takes some experience, takes some trust and leadership to lead us through this. I, I mean, I'm still being led by leaders when I say, how, do I, how should I react to people that are reacting this way? I'm getting counsel from people. I advise you to do the same before you say something you might regret or do something you might regret or start a, a little jihad in the body of Christ that causes divisions or like, like, please hear my heart. When this is over with, the church is still meeting, whether they're in a room or not. But when this is all over with, we're gonna have to worship with people we once openly criticized um, let's be very careful to have hard conversations privately with relationship and not just enjoy being slacktivists that, that do nothing. Listen, let's be careful. Let's be careful how we live so that in the end, people don't see a political view. They don't see a morality. They, they don't see a way to live. They see a person that dwells so richly inside of us that they see um, the attributes of our King, the attributes of our Father inside of us. Somewhere we took a wrong turn. We don't represent God as his enforcers. We represent God as his ambassadors. What I simply mean by that is this. You should not say what he wouldn't say. You should not do what he wouldn't do. You should not go where he would not go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about us being Christ's ambassadors. And the message that he sent us with is a message of reconciliation, of healing. The word reconciliation there is the word where like a bone is fractured and then it's reconciled. It becomes reunited with itself. And it's not just stronger because it's healed back to its original place. It's actually stronger than it was before the injury. God is calling us to go to an unbelieving world and reconcile God's heart to their hearts. How can we do that if our hearts are not reconciled one to another? It's a time for mercy to win debates. It's a time for turning the other cheek. It's a time for us to stand for what we should stand for. It's time for us to speak up when it's time to speak up. It's time for us to debate good ideas uh, logically, purposefully, peacefully with people of goodwill. But it is not time to throw pearls in a pig pen to be trampled down by pigs. So it is time for us to call a world to be reconciled to God. It's time for us, to, I'm calling you to be reconciled to each other. I, I, I'll say this last thing about children. I got into a fight. It was the most brutal fist fight of my life. Um, we were at each other. There was blood. Um, there was teeth. It, I mean, it was, it was 
every, everything hurt. Uh, I took multiple blows to the face and the body. He took multiple blows to the face and the body. His name was Ford. Ford Mathis was his name. And the only redeeming part of that, that fist fight is that it happened in kindergarten. <laughs> I was five years old. He was five years old. You know what was neat about that? At the end of that fist fight, we were pulled apart by a teacher. We were both crying. We were both bleeding. I'd lost a, a tooth, uh, broken a tooth. And uh, at the end of that fight, what was neat about that moment, and this is so cool, you'll never guess whose house I spent the night at over the weekend that weekend. That was Ford Mathis. I say the last thing that Jesus really is looking for when he talks about being like kids is that kids don't like the stress and the tension and the isolation. They actually reconcile with people that have punched them in the face faster than we can reconcile with people that just hurt our feelings by words. So I'm calling on the body of Christ, Freedom Center Church, leadership, be reconciled to God and be reconciled to each other. When Jesus says you should grow up to be like them, I think this is what he's talking about. We receive love, we believe, we reconcile, we look like him, and and we're reconciliation ministers, we're ambassadors. We say what he said, we go where he's gone, we do what he's done. Let's make that the priority of our lives. And I just want to pray for those of you that are here today. You're like, man, Tim, I'm... I need to be reconciled to God. I have great news for you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. So you don't have to be alone. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be a long ways away from his heart. You don't. Wherever you are right now, I just simply say this to you. You are literally as close as as calling on his name and saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. How about this one? Jesus, love me. How about this one? Jesus, I allow you to love me. I let you love me. I know you love me more than my sins. What you've done for me is more powerful than what I've done to me, what I've done against you. You had an accident. If you didn't make progress, you made a mess. I would just simply say this. He knows how to clean you up, stand you up, brush you off, and send you right back into learning how to walk. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, lead our hearts, lead our words, lead our church. Lead the church, we pray, by your Spirit. We let you love us wherever we are, right here, right now. We let you love us. We give you permission to get closer than some imaginary throne in heaven. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us, even now, even now. We receive your mercy and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We are one Sunday closer. We have an announcement about when we're going to be meeting again in person. And I encourage you guys to be a part of our in-person. It's going to be a little bit different than normal, but we're going to start seeing each other again soon. So God bless you guys. Live long, prosper, watch for announcements. It's coming soon. And we will see you just as soon as we can. Amen.